have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of Luke? Uh, my name is Chad, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the young adult pastors here on staff. And man, I'm excited. It's March Madness. It's lived up to its name this month. And so I'm rooting for the Texas A&M Aggies. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah, they got a couple of whoops out there. And so my wife's an alumni there. And so that's who we're rooting for. I actually picked uh, Texas A&M and Texas Tech to be in the championship. That shows you how much I know about college basketball. And so I believe in miracles. And so, um, you know, we're, we're rooting for them. Well, hey, we are starting a new series tonight called Unashamed. And the, the theme verse around Unashamed is Romans 1, 1, 6. And it says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, somebody say power. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone, not just someone, not just a few, but everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so, guys, here's our, let me just show you our cards right out the gate, man. We are longing to see young adults who are gripped by the, the grace of God, so much so that they would say that they have put their faith, trust, and hope in the gospel, the good news. And we're wanting to see young adults rise up and live a life of boldness, a life that says, man, I am not ashamed of this gospel because it has the power to save and to change and to reform and to build hospitals and or orphanages and to do great things in people's lives. And so we want to see you begin to uh, latch on to this because it is at the center of the story that God is unfolding in history, that God is not a God of happily ever after, but he's a God of new beginnings, that he wants to do something new in your life, and maybe it'll start right tonight. And so I'm excited to see what God may do over the next couple of weeks to stir up the waters of your heart and your soul for boldness so that you would go out and live the unashamed life. But you'll never be bold until you have a burden. And the burden that God wants to birth inside of you tonight is a burden that we call prayer. And so next week, man, we're going to go and we're going to pray and we're going to worship at Mill Creek Park, like I, uh, like I like to say in Texas, at the plaza. The plaza, I think is how I say it. I don't know if that's right, but I just said the plaza. I think it's plaza. I don't know. Anyway, so y'all correct my, uh, my texting and work with me a little bit here. Anyway, and so we're going to go down to the plaza and we're going to have a good time, all right? And we're going to worship and we're going to praise Jesus and live the unashamed life. Well, before we dive in, I want to tell you a story. So we, we're coming off the... Um, the curtails of a Save the Date series. And so some of you guys, y'all been with us since uh, we started this year. And we launched into this series because we want to see you guys have successful relationships and dating lives. And hopefully that was helpful and beneficial for you guys. And we talked about a, a sundry of things uh, uh, during that series. But one of the things we really locked in on was this idea of communication. Communication, that if you want to have a successful relationship, you're going to have to learn how to communicate successfully. That communication is critical to the success of any relationship. So when it comes to my wife and I's relationship, um, it, it's just a little bit challenging at times. Because first of all, she's a woman. And guys, you know that that can just, that can just be a, an issue in and of itself to try to make sense, right? We said that talking to a woman is sometimes like trying to smell the color of night. You know, you're like, what is that? Is that even a thing? I'm getting so many emotional signals right now that I just don't have the receptors for. And so my wife, um, to add to that, she's notorious for getting her words mixed up or using phrases that don't really work. Like that one time she was like, but Chad, man, if we do that, it's going to spread like wildflowers. <laughs> I was like, spread like what? And, and then she's really confident, spread like wildflowers. I'm like, babe, I don't think that's the saying. 
She's like, it's not? You know, I'm like, yeah, it, it's wildfire. It's going to spread like wildfire. Or one time just to, you know, we were having a discussion, um, a little bit of an intense discussion. And again, I've, I've showed you my cards before that my default is to kind of get um, into a satirical mode and, and, and throw, you know, jabs of sarcasm. And so I was getting into that dry, witty phase of, of having like, you know, like, I, no, I really care about you right now, babe. You know, like, you know, like that's not, not very believable. And so she looks at me, she said, Chad, Quit using that sarcastic cone with me. I was like, we're done. I, I just can't. I, I just can't even make sense of this. And so recently, man, uh, we, we've been struggling with some health issues in our home. And so my wife, she's been going to the chiropractor. And, uh, and, and you know, it's kind of been a long thing. But I, 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 she was telling me that I, had, I need to go back to the chiropractor because I think I twerked my back. And I was like, you did. I was like, you, you were you like, like. You twerked your back, and you didn't let me watch you do this? I mean, come on, what? And I was like, <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, we're married. It's okay. Um, and I was like, babe, I, I think you, uh, do you know what twerking is? No. I was like, I think you tweaked your back, right? And so, so often uh, in our relationship, it can be a little bit confusing, a little bit comical. And so um, she told me this, and I'm, I'm always trying to decipher. And so, um, you know, I was like, are you a working mom or a twerking mom? Which one is it, you know? And so we got it all straightened out. She tweaked her back. She didn't twerk her back. And so that's not what we do in our recreational time. And so we have a lot of fun in our conversation. And and oftentimes our communication, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's fun, sometimes it's frustrating, uh, sometimes it's comical. There are times where we have these, these nonsensical conversations. Then there are these other times in our relationship where we had these robust, like, heartfelt dialogue conversations where we're, we're, we're pining and, I mean, mining the depths of each other's soul. There are times where we are, are communicating with each other, just not even saying anything. We're, we're with each other just in silence. And I, and I tell you all that because communication is key for any relationship to thrive. But why do we think our relationship with God's any different? Why do we think that, that prayer is something that we can, we can either have or not have and it's no big deal when it comes to our relationship with God? That prayer is the pathway by which we communicate properly with God. And tonight I tell you all that because that's what we're talking about tonight. We titled this message, Unashamed Prayer, because we want to see a people who fall so madly in love with Jesus, the lover of their soul, that they come to him with every little thing in their life and every big thing in their life. And so often in any relationship with any real person, you'll regularly be confused, infuriated. You'll talk about small things. You'll talk about big things. And so when it comes to your prayer life to God, there are going to be times where you're, you're puzzled by him. You're like, God, you, you don't make sense to me because your ways are not my ways. And, and you'll be confounded a little bit by his, his, his nature, his mysteriousness and his ways. And then there are other times where you come to God and you're just like, God, what's going on? Well, why would you let this happen in my life? And you may be a little bit frustrated. And then there's other times when you come to God and you're just so struck with awe and wonder. Prayer, it's something that we all know about. It's, it's kind of intuitive to the human experience that in every culture there's some sort of talking to a higher power that, that even if you're an atheist, you pray. In a study in 2004, it found that nearly 30% of atheists admitted that they prayed sometimes. You know, maybe they got nervous, maybe they're like, oh, you know, Lord, help me get to there on time, whatever it is. And then another study found that, that 17% of non-believers in God prayed regularly. 
A sociologist, Giuseppe Jordan, he said this, in virtually all studies of the sociology of religious behavior, it is clearly apparent that a very high percentage of people declare that they pray every day, and many say even, even many times a day. That prayer, it's something that when we come to the, the Word of God, it's just woven throughout the Scriptures. That the Scriptures just assume that you would pray. Like it says things like this, that, that you would labor in prayer, that you would be diligent in prayer, that you would pray without ceasing. Jesus, the perfect Christian, the author and perfecter of our faith, we find Jesus praying by himself. We find Jesus praying before a meal. We find Jesus praying when he's happy. We find Jesus praying when he's sad. We find Jesus praying on the cross. And then the Lord the largest book of our Bible is a prayer journal of multiple men and women called the Psalms. It's 150 chapters long. It's right dab in the middle that God carved out space in his word to record the prayers of people. When it comes to prayer, man, I just got to be honest, it's one of those areas in my life that, that I struggle with. Now, I love to study the Bible, but when I pray, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. And so as I begin to prepare for this message, I'm just like, God, i, I got to step my game up. Because I, when I begin to read the, the um, biographies of the men of old that have ushered in the great movements of God and the women of old that have ushered in the great movements of God, they've always been marked by one thing, prayer. And if they labored in prayer to the degree that they did and they saw God do the things that they saw him do, I'm like, I want to see God move, don't you? But every great movement of God is prefaced by a great prayer movement of his people. And so I come to this as a man that is broken, that is not good, that is learning just like you. Let me sit down and preach to myself a little bit tonight because I need to learn how to pray. And so I begin to come next to my wife nightly uh, for the last couple of weeks and just say, hey, babe, I, I need to lead better. I'm not leading in our home better. Or, or I'm not leading in our home efficiently. And so I started praying with her and I pray over my children, and I pray throughout the day, and I want to stay connected to God in prayer. Luke, he tells us some profound things about prayer. He records the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1 if you're there. It says this, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he seized that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. I love this, that God would put space in his word to say that the disciples came to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, like we've seen you pray. We've seen what happens when you pray. It's obvious that your prayer life has got something going on that, that mine doesn't have going on. And so often when we come to church life and we come to following Jesus, there's just a lot of things that people think we should know how to do. Oh, you're a Christian. You prayed and received Christ. You've been following him. Oh, yeah, you should know how to pray. And you're like, I don't know if I know how to pray. And we just think that we're just going to catch how to pray. But notice here that this is a concentrated part of God's word to teach us how to pray. I was talking with a, um, a young adult about a, about a week ago, and she came up to me. She's like, hey, um, when you pray, like, how does that work? Like, how do you pray out loud? And she was like, man, I, I could talk to anybody, anytime. I could talk to this wall for like 30 minutes about nothing. But when it comes to me praying out loud, I, I just I struggle a little bit. And it was such a great question, such an honest question. And so many times we think that we should just know how to do these things, but we need to learn. And so these guys, they come to Jesus and they say, teach me how to pray. Teach, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. All right, anyway, that's not probably not what they said. But. And so Jesus, he responds with this passage that's quite familiar to us. And for some of you, it may be a tradition to you. 
And let me just challenge you real quick before we dive in. If this passage is traditional or familiar and it's lost its meaning, I challenge you to read it afresh like it was words you've never heard before. Because the prayer that Jesus is about to give us is a guide to help us have effective, passionate, Holy Spirit-filled, earth-shattering prayers. That the Lord's Prayer, it's not a tradition, it's actually a trail that leads us to transformation. So if you're taking notes tonight, write this note down, how to pray. We're going to teach you how to pray. All right, so Jesus starts off, he says, when you pray, I love this, not if you pray, but when you pray. If you're going to follow Jesus, prayer is just a part of the air that you breathe. When you pray, he says this, pray like this, our Father in heaven. I love this because this is the intimacy of prayer, that we get to come to God like a father, that he's working through kind of a a list of things. You see adoration in this first section, our father who's in heaven. And I love this because he says our father, not not when you pray, pray to my father. He says pray to our father, that Jesus would assume that we would come to God in prayer in the presence of community. See, I, I have three children, and each one of my children, they bring out a different part of me. And so um, my, my Lydia, she brings out the kind of the adoration. She's always like, Daddy, watch me twirl. And she'll twirl around and she changes clothes like 37 times before lunchtime. And she's always, you know, that's her. And so I'm always like adoring her. You're awesome, baby. And then the middle one, she's my rough one. She's the one that wants to headbutt me. She's the one when she gets hurt, she laughs. And then Anna Joy, she just is the baby and she just is always like this. You know, and so it just brings this, this aspect out of me. So check this out. We know God better in the presence of one another because you know things about God I don't, that he's our father. And so we seek God together, and Jesus is saying he's our father. And so it doesn't matter if you're black, white, red, yellow. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what class you are, if you're rich, you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're old, if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're cool, if you're not. Doesn't matter if you're thick or if you're thin. It's our Father. We're all the family of God when we submit our life to Jesus Christ. And this would have blown the minds of his disciples. They would be like, hold up, Jesus. Um, you know, when we pray, it's like, Sovereign Lord, Elohim, El Shaddai, Jehovah, Jireh, Nisi, Raya, uh, Hahavaya, whatever. I, don't, I made those last few up. Anyway, you, you know, you come to him, it's like, form, you can't just, because they would have been like, like, Jesus, that's a little uncomfortable just to say, you know, when I pray, uh, Daddy, I know you're in heaven, Daddy. It's just uncomfortable. But this is the most common way Jesus addresses God. He says, Abba. Abba, 187 times in the scripture, he calls God his Father. And this is a beautiful picture because we come to God like a child that Jesus is saying, He's our Daddy, and you have access to God. But for so many of us, man, this is hard to, to conceive, right? Because a lot of you walked in here and you have a daddy wound. Like maybe your story is similar to mine. My dad left on Mother's Day when I was 12. Like dad, seriously, Mother's Day? Like you couldn't leave like Monday? You know what I'm saying? Like that was like low on low. That's like throwing shade on the, in the dark. You know what I'm saying? And so come on, man. And so he walked out. And so for the next few years of my life, man, my, my father figure my dad, like that, that picture began to, to just crumble and become broken. So when I come to God as a father, if that's the only picture I have, that's a faulty view of God. But can I tell you that God is not the reflection of your earthly father, but God is the perfection of your earthly father. And some of you tonight, you need to jot that down. If that's all you get for the rest of the year and you build your theology that God is not a representation of your earthly father, excuse me, your earthly father is not a representation of God, 
If that's all you get and that God is a good, good father and that he loves you, that could revolutionize your life. That God is not a reflection of your earthly father, but God is the perfection of your earthly father. That he is a good, good father, just like we sang earlier. And he wants to give us great things and and he wants to give us access primarily. He wants to give us intimacy. And then he goes on, he says, hallowed be your name. Now, this is just a big church word. Hallowed means revere. It means, it means awesome that, that, God, that Jesus is going from the intimacy that we have with the Father to the imminency of the Father. He's transcendent. He's God. He's everywhere. And so oftentimes, we need to understand that prayer is privilege, that we get to come and approach boldly the God that spoke galaxies into existence, the God that is over the universe that's ever expanding, the God that created the little tardigrade invisible microscopic animals that have retractable claws and they scale the, the, the grains of sand like they're mountains and they're predators. The God that created those squids that spin in the dark of the ocean that create their own light and it looks like a Ferris wheel right before they eat you. The God that created all these wonderful, amazing, mighty, awesome things. You can talk to him. You come to God and you say, hallowed be your name. And then he goes on, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We move from adoration to alignment. And so we're sending out some young adults, some of our leaders into the city with this thing called Unashamed in a few weeks. And they're going to go into the city. They're going to storm Kansas City for the sake of the gospel. And they're going to do all kinds of things. They're going to serve the city. They're going to share the gospel with the city. They're going to sing worship in the city. But they're going to start by doing this. They get together that night. They're going to have dinner. And they're going to go out and pray. And some of you are like, well, why, why, why are they just praying? Why don't they go do something? That prayer is this powerful thing that the scriptures say that when we pray, we have the ability to pull down strongholds. And so that night, we go to the, the strip clubs. We don't go in them. We stay outside. Just, you know, just make that disclaimer. We go down to Westport and we cruise. We go down to the HR block and we pray for the, the influencers in the business world. We pray at places of murder. We we pray at places that are selling sex. We pray that God would do something about our city and that he would reclaim it and that, that Kansas City would become a representation of the kingdom of God. Oh, God, we come to those places. We say, God, your will be done in Kansas City as it is in heaven. And so we pray because every great movement of God was prefaced by every great prayer movement of his people. And when people pray, God ushers in some amazing things. We named our third child Anna after the prophetess in the Gospels that prayed and longed for the Messiah to come, and she prayed and fasted, and then she saw Jesus, and she left with joy. Pray. And so we get to go to God in the city and we get to be unashamed. And he goes on and he says this. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, notice that we have adoration, then we have alignment. Now you're ready to ask. But so many of us, we just jump to the asking part when it comes to prayer, right? Like we treat God like a divine waiter, like God, ding a ding 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 um, I need a man because this one ain't working. God, ding, 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 ding. I need a job because I'm not making enough money. And we treat God like he's some divine waiter, that his, his existence is to serve us what our needs are. But Jesus is saying, man, you've got to adore the Father. Then you've got to align your heart. Prayer is not about changing God's mind. It's about changing your heart. 
and you align your heart with his, you are changing. You are the variable. He is constant. He is immutable. He is the constant in the equation. And we change and we mold ourselves to him. And now we're ready to ask. And so give us this day our daily bread. God knows what your needs are, but come to him with them. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has indebted to us. That I love this that Jesus is saying, like, like when you pray, he's just assuming that forgiven people forgive people. And he, he's just assuming that, that, that if you ain't given forgiveness, then you probably haven't got forgiveness. That rooted even in the, the Lord's prayer is this like, hey, you, you better be forgiven people if you want to get the forgiveness of God. And he goes on, he says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I love this. Last week, if you weren't here, man, check out the podcast. Pastor Phil slayed it last week. That brother was carrying like uh, uh, baggage, and he put the baggage on the cross, and he told us this. My favorite line, the the lie we believe the earliest is the lie that we believe the longest. And all this was a part of the book that he released called Defeating the Enemy. And he gave us us weaponry to refute the lies of our adversaries so that we could live a life of victory and walk the Lord's prayer out, saying, God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. And so pick up what he put down last week and apply that to your life if you want liberty. Amen. Here we go. Point number two, if you're taking notes, we're moving from how to pray to when to pray. When to pray. Jesus goes on and he says this, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and, and I, I, I have nothing to set before him. Real quick, in this culture, this would have been a big deal, and our culture doesn't really translate that well, but hospitality was of utmost importance. So when this brother had a friend come over to his house, and, and he didn't have any bread, no ramen noodles, he had Kool-Aid, no sugar, he had peanut butter, no jelly, he was a little bit conflicted because he was supposed to walk out his hospitality, and he knew if he didn't get bread quick and offer his friend something, it would have heaped shame on his family. And so we see what he does in verse 7. And so he, he, or he, we see what he does. He goes and knocks on the door, and we get the answer in verse 7. He says, and he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children, shh, they're in bed with me, and I cannot rise and give it to you. He's basically saying, hey, man, hey, leave me alone, man. My wife's back is twerked. My kid." And my kids, they are already asleep. Like, man, quit knocking, man. Ain't got no bread, man. Leave me alone. Try to get some sleep, man. My wife wake up, man. She kill me. Get out of here, man. I know I owe you some bread, but come back later. But Jesus, he goes on. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence. You could circle that word, persistence. Maybe some of your translations say impudence. So maybe some of your translations say audacity. He will rise and give him as many as he needs. This word persistent in the Greek is the word anadaya. It means shamelessness. It means audacity. It means impudence. It means sassiness. That this man was going over there, he's like, you better get me some bread. I'm about to come in there and wake everybody up. I'm going to keep knock, knock, knocking on this door until I get some bread. I got to get some bread. I got a friend. Oh, I need some bread. I need some bread. I need some bread. He made a song up out there like bread, B-R-E-A-D. I need some bread. I ain't leaving until you give me. I need some bread, right? And so he started doing that thing. And he, I mean, he was, he was persistent. And Jesus says it wasn't because this brother liked him. It wasn't because this brother owed him anything. He says it's because this brother was persistent. You, you ever had to be persistent about something? Um, my wife and I, when, the first time we were in Missouri, it was in St. Louis. 
All right, that nobody, nobody likes St. Louis? Okay. All right, cool. Um, <clears throat> anyway, we was in St. Louis. I had the privilege of, of getting to perform the wedding for my brother-in-law. He married a Missouri woman. And, and so um, after we were hanging out in the city and we went to Little Italy, a little part of St. Louis, and, and felt like we was eating in Mama Mia's kitchen and got some great Italian food, and then we went and got some gelato. And so, man, we was, man, we was feeling right. And then we were cutting back through the city, and it was, it was pretty late at night, and actually a Cardinals game had just let out. And so we're like right in the heart of the city. Y'all know the ballpark's right there in the heart of the city. And, and we're driving, and, and my wife's like, uh-oh. I'm like, what, what do you mean, uh-oh? She's like, uh-oh, I need to go, uh-oh. I'm like, well, babe, I mean, it's late. There ain't nowhere to go, uh-oh, down here. And she's like, I need to go. I asked her permission to tell the story, <laughs> okay? Anyway. And so I'm like, hey, all right, you know, I'm starting, I'm, I'm, I'm crew, I'm trying to find something, people walking, and then finally, like, we see a Taco Bell. And, and my wife, like, like, she has standards when it comes to hygiene, but all that was out at this point in time. Uh-oh, I need to go. It was serious. And so I'm like, all right, and I'm waiting to, like, turn into Taco Bell. I think I had to make a U-turn or something. All of a sudden, I see her open up the door, and she's running to Taco Bell. You know, doing that, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so she's running, and, and she goes, and she does this. The door's locked. But people are inside, so she's like, and so she runs to the other side of the Taco Bell. And I could just see her, man, and she's like, and then she just starts knocking on the door like, you know, I need to, I need to go, I need to go. And finally, you know, one of the work, he's like getting off where he's like, I see him walk over there and lets her in, and she's like, pfft, goes in there, and then she, I mean, thank the Lord, this guy came and let the door open, and the brother wasn't going to come to the door, but she was persistent, and this is the point that Jesus is trying to make, that sometimes when you need something, you can't give up on prayer, and so often we give up too soon. We give up so quickly on prayer, and we're too passive in our prayer life. And a lot of times we like to blame it on, like, just, you know, we like to say something spiritual, like, well, man, what's the use in praying? God knows what's going to happen. You know, I mean, he knows the outcome. I mean, why do I even need to, like, go to him? And he knows my needs. He knows the whole situation. And so, you know, when something's going on in your life, we're like, hey, man, you've been praying about that. Like, no, nah, man, I'm just resting in the sovereignty of God. Okay. Like, that sounds spiritual, but it's lazy. Like, it sounds good, but it's lazy. And a lot of you are like, man, I just want a low-maintenance relationship with God. Listen, a low-maintenance relationship with God is no relationship with God. There's no such thing as a low-maintenance relationship. Like a, like, like a lot of the, the men here, like maybe you uh, have had this conversation with some other men before, like, man, man, I found the perfect woman, right? And so you looked at the hot, crazy matrix, and you found her, you plotted her out there, right? And so you're like, found a perfect, like, man, she's low-maintenance. And what that means, is what, he's, what he's saying, so women, if you hear like, oh, you're just, girl, you're awesome, you're low-maintenance. Let me just tell you what that means for most men. I don't have to give a lot, but I get a lot. I don't have to give a lot of communication. I ain't got to give a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort to this relationship. But she gives me what I want, low maintenance. Let me just tell you again, a low maintenance relationship is no relationship at all. Relationships take time. They take energy. They take effort. They take communication. And your relationship with God is no exception. 
And so when we come to God, we come to him and we, we bother him is what, what Jesus is saying here. He's like, man, be persistent in your prayer. He's giving you liberty to bother him. He says, man, give me no rest. He echoes the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 62 that says, put men on the walls and have them cry out and, and don't even let them let me sleep. Have them cry out day and night. He says, come to me, bother me, bring your request to me. I want your voice. I want your words. Be the squeaky wheel. Say, Dad, Dad, whisper in my ear, cry out. And like, I mean, it's like saying, man, man, stewy God, you know what I'm saying? Stewy God, mama, mama, mother, mommy, mama, mama, mommy, mommy, mom, 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 mother, mommy, mommy. What? Hey. <laughs> and you come to God and you, you bother him. What burden have you brought in here tonight? What burden have you brought in here tonight? I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning to the sound of my wife vomiting so profusely that it woke up everyone else. What burden have you brought in here tonight? And I wonder, have you bothered God with your burden? Because he wants you to. Don't be polite with God. Go to him often and bother him with your burden. Because when you become a child of God, his ear is undeniably focused upon your cry. There's no formal phone call that you got to dial up. It's like that baby monitor that I have on my baby. Like every day we put her to sleep, you know, like rock, rock, baby, give her milk. And then she's got this little ducky and we lay her down. And, and then we do this thing like, like real calm. And then, and then it's like stealth ninja mode, like. And then she'll kind of look up and I'll just stand there like, I ain't leaving. I, yeah, you good. I'm standing right here all night, baby. I'm here. And eventually she'll doze off and then I'll sneak out of the room. But I turn that baby monitor on. And what that baby monitor does, it gives me undeniable, uninhibited access to her voice. And from her perspective, she's like, she'll wake up in the middle of the night like, oh, no, daddy, he's gone. His, his presence has left the room, and all she has to do is cry out. And I come in there and say, hey, baby, hey, I'm right here. Daddy's right here. And God is saying, you come to me like that. All you have to do, maybe you come in here so bogged down by life, and maybe you had some news that hit you like a ton of bricks this week. And you're like, where do I go, God? I feel like your presence has left the room. Where, where are you? And he says, just cry out, I'll be there. Because I love you, because you're my child. You have uninhibited, undeniable access to the Father. Jesus, he goes on to say this in verse 9. So I said, you ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. That he's saying, look, God answers prayer. So there's some really cool realities about God in prayer. Like Moses in Exodus 32, he prays that God would not kill the people that he led into the desert. And it says this in Exodus 32, verse 14, that God repented. Like, say what? Like, oh, I was confused. God repent? I thought I was supposed to repent. But that's just a word that means God changed his mind is how it reads. Because it's reading the way Moses saw it play out. It's called an anthropomorphism is the big theological word. It's when, it's when the scripture uses a human language to express God, like the arm of God. 
It says that Moses prayed and God changed his mind. Moses' prayer changed the wrath of God. Some of you have a grandmother praying the same thing for you. God, have mercy on him. God, have mercy on her. And you are a result of maybe a 30-year prayer tonight. Another cool reality is Joshua, he prayed that God would make the sun stand still in Joshua chapter 10, and it did. (laughs) This is crazy. Joshua shouldn't even been battling these people, but God heard his prayer. But then there's some not-so-cool realities about prayer. Sometimes God answers prayer with silence. Paul, one of the greatest theologians in the Bible, he, he had this incredible, robust prayer life. His apron healed the sick. His shadow healed people. He, he raised the dead to life. And so the brother knew God. He knew him in some profound, powerful ways. In 2 Corinthians 12, it said that he prayed three times. That's a literary device in the Bible that means he prayed and prayed and prayed until he couldn't pray no more, until his prayer was exhausted. And he prayed some more. And he prayed three times, God, please take this thorn away from me. God, please take this thorn away from me. We don't know what the thorn is, but Paul didn't like it. God said, no. I'm doing something with your pain. Your thorn's leading to a testimony, Paul. My grace is sufficient in your weakness, for when you are weak, I am made strong. The Son of God, the perfect man, the one that is a part of the, the Godhead, the triune, the uh, God, that, I mean, the Son of God. He's praying in the garden. God, if there's any other way, silence. Praying so profusely, sweating drops of blood. God, take this cup from me. God, and he's praying, and it says again, he prayed three times that night. That's a literary device to say he exhausted himself in prayer. God said no. And he said, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. What have you bothered God for? Like, like it, it, check this out. If God answered all your prayers tonight, how would the world be different? If God answered all of your prayers tonight, who, who, who else would be in heaven? One of our young adults, Luke Crabb, this is an incredible story. Like he, he began to have a burden for, for the Lord. And so, I mean, he, he um, for, on, on behalf of his dad, Luke, he's a, he's a first generation Christian. This is going to give somebody hope here tonight. He was the only Christian in his family. And so he goes off to college to play baseball at Virginia Commonwealth University. Go Rams. Anybody? Rams? Okay. All right. Just me. All right. And so, and, he, and then he gets out of college and he's following Jesus. He goes to uh, get a corporate job and he's, you know, he's just pioneering his career. And I asked Luke about something that happened in his life. And here's what he had to say. He said, I never saw my dad go to church growing up. And when we didn't have, excuse me, and we didn't have much of a close relationship where we ever talked about faith. After I started to pursue Jesus, I was able to share my testimony with him, and, and, and he could see me live out my faith, but I never shared the gospel with him, which I was planning on doing during a road trip that we're taking this, this next month in April. So I recently could tell that he was going through some tough things and could see that he was hurting. So for the first time in a long time, I wrote out a prayer for my dad in my journal on Sunday, and I asked for my community group to pray for him. Here's his journal entry, March 11th, 2018. This was about two weeks ago. Actually, nine days ago. He says, Father God, I'm writing because of the urgency I have felt from the Spirit. People around me don't know the truth. God, I pray for my dad who is in spiritual pain. God, I feel his pain. 
Father, I ask that you come into his life and fill him with the same joy I found in Christ. God, I have a trip in April planned with him. God, I ask that you prepare me for this by guiding me through your word. God, make me aware of your spirit to make me aware of when this time is. Amen. And so he, he, he goes to God and says, God, I need you to move in my father's life. I need you to give me the boldness. And then he goes to his community and he says, hey, guys, my dad, he's hurting. He's coming to the point of brokenness. I think God is about to break through his brokenness. And they begin to pray, God, help Luke to be bold on this road trip. This is all Sunday. On Tuesday morning, Luke goes on to say, my dad called me in tears telling me about the decision he's made to accept Jesus into his heart. It may have taken my dad 54 years to accept Christ, but when it comes to prayer, God didn't hesitate to answer and show himself to me in the clearest way. Praise God. Praise God. Be persistent. Some of you have given up on somebody that God hasn't given up on, and he wants you to stand in the gap like the book of Ezekiel talks about, and you labor and you are persistent, and you take God, your burden, with boldness, and you bother him with it. Third and finally tonight, what to pray? What to pray? What do we pray when we go to God? Jesus, he goes on in verse 11, he says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The, the Jesus, he is, he, first of all, he's calling us out. He's like, you, uh, you know, side note, you're evil. And so we think that we have this duality where we swing between divinity and depravity. No, he's like, no, it's just depraved. You need, you, you, you need some help. But even though you're evil, you still know how to give good gifts to your children. Like, you still know this. And then he answers this question. He says this, when you ask your heavenly Father, he wants to give you the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is telling us clearly how he wants to answer our prayers. Jesus is not trying to give you more stuff. Jesus, his goal in life God's goal is to edify the Son. The Son's goal is to glorify the Father through the Holy Spirit breaking out in your life. That God doesn't want to give you so much of this or that. He wants to give you himself. That the answer to prayer is God's presence, not his presence. That the answer to prayer is God's spirit, not his stuff. That the answer that God is trying to give you to your prayer is his presence, the Holy Spirit invading your situation, not his presence, not his things. He wants you to have him. He wants you to know him. He doesn't want your safety and your comfort. He wants you to know him. Um, um, Lydia, she's my firstborn, and um, when she was young, she, she's an she's a, a extreme extrovert, loves to be around people. Daddy, watch me do this. Daddy, watch me do this. Loves to have the party. And so she has a hard time going to bed at times. And when she was young, uh, she would, we would put her down to bed, do the whole ninja stealth sneak out deal. And then she would wake up, man, crying. Ah, ah, where's y'all at? And, and then uh, and her comfort was, was not a pacifier. It wasn't a blankie. It wasn't a binky. It wasn't a teddy. It was a spoon. It was a, a green spoon, not a purple, not a blue, not a pink, a green spoon. And she would wake up in the middle of the night, in the middle of her crisis, and she would reach out for this green spoon. 
And I would come in there and I'd say, baby, let me hold you. And I would offer my presence to her. And she would like, nah, give me the spoon, right? And I'm like, all right, here's, here's the spoon. That's a great picture of so many of us tonight. That when we get into a crisis, we start reaching out for the vices that entrap us all the more. And we think that it, when we get into a crisis, we'll reach out to a vice like a, like a drink or like a relationship or a comfort food or a pill or a party or sex, whatever it is. And we think that that's going to bring us what we need when the Father's coming to us and he's saying, no, no, you need me. In the middle of your crisis, you don't need another vice. You, you need me. And so we pray things like, God, give me a man. I'm so lonely. And we pray things like, God, give me a job. I'm tired of being broke, tired of living paycheck to paycheck. God, take this pain away from me. And we treat God like he's some genie over the galaxies. If we just rub the bottle the right way, that he'll come out and he'll do whatever we say. But God's not like that. And God's not trying to give you a man. He's not trying to give you a job. He's not trying to relieve your pain more than he's trying to give you himself. And don't you know that the love of God that is so unfathomable and so incredible that it would... It would rather see you in a hospital bed than living in a, a life of disobedience and caught in a vice. He'd rather see you broken and with him than successful and without him. God's not trying to give you the things that are actually robbing you from his presence. And so when we pray, what we pray is, God, I'm so lonely. I need a man, but not more than I need you. God, this pain, I, I don't know, I didn't ask for this injury, I didn't ask for this hurt, but God, God, use it. I need you in the midst of my pain. And we pray and we give our life to God and we say, God, give us yourself. And I love this quote that C.S. Lewis says. He says, when you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. But when you aim at earth, you get neither. And so I invite you to be unashamed in your prayer and ask that God would fill you with his presence, that the Holy Spirit would invade you and you would live a life of boldness where you come boldly before the God that, that created you, that loves you, and that you would talk to him about anything, that you would cry out to him, that you would take him the most vulnerable and the most sacred parts of your life and your past, that you would shout to him if you need to, that you would ask him to bring big things in your life, that you would ask him to accomplish little things in your life, that you would ask him to do these things, and that you would open the access and open the lines of communication because the key to any relationship this communication. But some of you here tonight, the reason why you don't like talking to God is probably because you don't know God. And maybe you think that just by somehow like being affiliated with something like this, like you think that, that, that like you and God, you're good. You're like, nah, man, me and God, we, we have a facilitating relationship. We understand one another. God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows it's wicked. And God's not down on you putting out the qualifications for his relationship with you. 
And so we don't want a programmed, a programmed faith being stirred up inside of you. We want a personal faith being stirred up inside of you. So if the only time you pray is some kind of nominal shotgun prayers on a Tuesday night or on a Sunday morning, you're missing out on life and life abundantly, and you just may not know God. John 17, Jesus says this, and this is eternal life that you may know, excuse me, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He's not saying this is eternal life that you come to paradigm. He's not saying this is eternal life that you, that you say some spiritual things or that you sing some songs. He's saying spiritual life, a relationship with God is rooted in the fact that you know God through Jesus Christ, that you have come to the point in your life where you realize that you were hopelessly lost more than you cared to imagine. You realize that the gospel is first the bad news before it's the good news, that you were hopelessly destitute, depraved, spiritually dead. But then there was a time where it clicked. You had a revelation that there is a God that so loved you. He so loved you that he laid his life down for you. And so you moved from the problem to the promise that God has good news for you tonight, that he made a way where there was no way by becoming the way that greater love had no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends and it clicked and that moved from your head understanding that there is some God out there that I occasionally speak to, that there is a God that's very near that I want to be near to, that it moved from your head to your heart and you realize that Jesus is Lord. You believe that he is the God that raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth, I want to be in his family and you crossed from the chasm of death to life and it clicked to you and your heart was melted and it was moved. Have you had that moment when you stepped away from religious things into a relationship with God? If you haven't tonight, maybe, maybe you do that. The way you start a relationship with God is you just pray. And you, you pray like I did when I was 20 years old crying. I'm tired, tired of this. God, would you save me? I believe in you, but help me in my unbelief. Help me have victory. Help me to win the battle. And maybe you start a relationship with God because there's one prayer that God likes to hear more than any other, and it's, Daddy, would you save me? And he'll rush to you every time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. We thank you that you're our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us today our, the things we need, God. Give us relationship. Give us community. Give us discipline. God, and that you would deliver us from temptation, that you would deliver us from the evil, and God, that you would help us to forgive people as they have trespassed to give against us, and that you would forgive us. God, I pray that you would liberate us, and you'd help us to know you completely through, through prayer. In Jesus' name I pray.